how does making excuses just pour fuel on a fire? Why did God instruct the Israelites to kill every last Amalekite, even destroying their property? And is it okay to break the traffic laws to make it to church on time? You'll find out today on the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a newbie Christian or a veteran Bible reader, my goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor, I'm a pastor, and I'm married to a soccer mom. Not just that, I'm married to the soccer coach. My four-year-old is playing in a soccer league at our local YMCA this spring, and my wife volunteered to be the team's coach. Now, before the season started, my child and I had a lot of discussions about the fact that mommy is his coach, and even though his coach is mommy, he still has to listen to her just as well as if his coach was a stranger. I didn't want him acting silly and blowing off her instructions just because of the familiarity of having his own mom be his coach. And the first couple practices have went pretty well. But now, after much deep thought and reflection— he has come to another realization. Not only is his coach mommy, but his coach is a girl. And now he's confused all over again as to why he has to listen to her. (laughs) But we should listen to authority. God has placed authorities in our lives that we are to obey. Now there's good authorities, there's bad authorities, and sometimes even girl authorities. But all the same, we are told to submit, as long as they aren't telling us to do something that's unbiblical. And if we don't listen to authority, then we need to own up to it. And that was Saul's problem in the story we're going to look at today. He did not listen to authority. And not only that, he did not own up to it. He didn't take responsibility for his decisions. This is kind of a follow-up to last week's lesson uh, where we were in the book of Ezekiel. We're in Ezekiel chapter 18, my favorite chapter of the book of Ezekiel. And that chapter is about personal responsibility. And I wanted to do this lesson today as kind of a cross-reference with that, but that lesson was already running so long, I I just decided to save it for its own lesson today. And so we're going to go into 1 Samuel chapter 15. In this chapter, um, and we're not going to read the whole chapter, it's 35 verses, but if you want to turn there, you can kind of follow along as I read it. And I'll try to summarize the story as we go. But this is another chapter of the Bible that deals a lot with the concept of personal responsibility. And and so in that theme of, you know, what we were talking about last week, uh, I just want to continue in that today. Talk about taking responsibility for the times that we don't do what's right. And hey, none of us is perfect. We're all going to mess up sometimes. We're, we're still going to sin sometimes. And so it's really important that when we do that, we take responsibility for our choices and not make some of the mistakes that, that Saul does in this chapter. So in this story, Saul is the king of Israel. This is right before David is about to be introduced. Um, so this is this is when the only king right now is Saul. David's not on the scene yet. Samuel is the prophet who has installed Saul as the king. He's been kind of a spiritual advisor to Saul as Saul was going through, you know, the early years of him being the king. But there's a distance growing between Saul and Samuel 
in fact, this story is kind of the last straw um, in a in a series of prideful mistakes or sins that Saul has been committing in his time as king. So a lot of stuff's been building up in this chapter and it all kind of kind of explodes here. Saul once again messes up. And as you'll see, he does not take responsibility for his actions. And that ends up just being the last straw for Samuel. But we'll get there later. What, what Samuel has told Saul to do in this chapter is that he's been instructed to wipe out the Amalekites. The Amalekites are these people who are so evil, so, it's so much into uh, evil demonic stuff that they, they just need wiped out totally. We don't want a shred of them left over. And that's hard for some people to swallow. Um, you know, they say, well, I thought God was, was always forgiving to people. Well, God is very forgiving, but at some point, God's patience will run out with the people. Uh, he won't wait forever for them to repent and get right. At some point, he will say, wipe them away and start fresh. I mean, he did that with the whole world, basically, in the story of Noah. And then he does it on a much smaller scale, actually, with lots of people groups in history in the Bible. So yes, God is very forgiving. But in this case, he had given the Amalekites hundreds of years to stop stop their child sacrifices and all this other stuff that they were doing. And finally, God says he's had enough. Every single one of them needs to be put to death. And so, um, and that's, you know, again, this is a the, the type of command that God would give sometimes in the Old Testament that some people really struggle with. It really bothers some people. Not me. <laughs> Honestly, it doesn't bother me. I just look at it as God is in control. God's in charge. Um, I mean, God loves everybody, but also he is God, we are people. So it is up to him how long anyone's life is supposed to last. You know, if God if God has me get in a car wreck tomorrow and I die, um, you know, hopefully some people would be sad about it, but God has not done done wrong by me because my life is in God's hands. And so God, it is up to God to decide how long each person out there is allowed to live. And if God says your time is up, then your time is up. <laughs> so he has supreme authority. So I don't see it as God doing wrong by anybody. If he says a person, um, a household, or even an, ent- an entire town should be wiped out. Uh, that to me, that's like, well, that's, that's God's, that's within God's authority. That's his decision. That's his call to make. So that's not something that bothers me for some people that, that is a big hurdle to jump over. So, um, anyway, God has said that Amalekites are to be wiped out. And I go into just that a little apologetic on that there, because that is really important to this story. Saul does not obey. He doesn't wipe out all the people. And so we're, we're about to get into that. Oh, one more mention. One more thing I want to mention. Um, so God told Saul, well, God told Samuel to tell Saul, not just to wipe out all the people, but even to wipe out their animals. Now, why would God say something like that? Well, because this is not an act of conquest on Israel's part. This is not Israel attacking another people group to enrich themselves. God is bringing the fist down on the Amalekites as an act of judgment. They are to be wiped out. And so, God is not sending the Israelites to do this, to kill the, all the Amalekites, to, to be some benefit to Israel necessarily. This is an act of judgment because these people have acted so wickedly. So God says, I want you to go in. You're not doing what other nations do. You know, other nations go in, they, they kill all the people, they take their land, they violate the women, they kidnap the children as slaves. God is not telling Israel to do something like that. He's saying, go into the town, wipe out all the people, don't violate the women. Don't don't take anything for profit. You're not taking their stuff. You're not taking their animals. In fact, kill all their animals. This is a moment of judgment 
on the Amalekites, and the Israelites are being God's instrument of judgment. So, I mean, I wouldn't categorize this as genocide. It has nothing to do with with their race. It's about their sin, the sin of these people. The sin is what the problem is. So, um, that's what that's what that's what the issue is. I, I guess I just say all that because I know some people struggle with commands like this from God, as I mentioned a minute ago. That can be a real big hurdle for some people to jump jump over. They say, well, doesn't God love everybody? Well, yes, God loves everybody. God loves, you know, Christians, non-Christians, Americans, Jews, atheists, people with black hair, people with brown hair, gingers. God loves Twilight fans. God loves everybody. But we all have sin. And so technically we are all under God's judgment, you know, until we repent. And so that's what's going on here in this story. The Amalekites are under God's judgment. And so Saul has been sent down to these terrible, terrible people to be God's fist of judgment. And and then here's what it says happens. You can follow along, like I said, in 1 Samuel 15. It says, he took Agag, this is Saul, he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat limbs and calves, everything that was good. So it said that Saul didn't quite follow God's command as God had said. They kept alive the king, and it said they kept alive the best. Everything that was good, Saul kept that for himself, which is not what God exactly said. He may have wiped out a lot of people, but he didn't wipe out all the people. He didn't wipe out all their stuff. He kept the best for himself, as well as their king. And so we'll get, we'll get into why he would do that later. Samuel comes back to check on how the battle went. And it says this, When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. I think Saul comes out there like that, saying that, because he knows that he has done wrong. He's wanting to kind of cover it up or smooth things over before Samuel even notices anything. So he comes out, The Lord bless you. I'm like, yeah, I think he's putting on a little bit right there, because <laughs> he knows he hasn't done exactly what Samuel said. Uh, I come home sometimes from work, and my toddler is right there to greet me at the door, and he says, Hi, Daddy. I was a really good boy today. <laughs> Whenever he does that, it's a pretty big clue to me that he was probably not such a such a good little boy today. Um, it's, it, it's like he might as well greet me at the door saying, The Lord bless you, Daddy. I did everything you wanted me to do today. <laughs> That's basically what Saul is doing here. He says, The Lord bless you. You know, trying to kind of butter Samuel up. Because he knows Samuel's probably not going to be happy when he sees what Saul did. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? I love how Samuel phrases it right there. He's he's like, um, If you did what, what I told you to do, what God wanted you to do, why do I hear farm animals right now? Because Saul was supposed to put them all to death. And so Saul starts spitting out you know, four or five excuses for, for his sin, why he didn't listen. Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. So what's wrong with saying that? Well, here's the first thing we do whenever we're caught in a sin. Sometimes we try to, we try to shift the blame onto someone else. And that's basically what Saul does right here. He's like, well, the soldiers brought them. Okay, well, sometimes whenever we're caught doing something wrong, we try to push it off on someone else. Um, I mean, we saw Adam and Eve do it, right? Uh, when... When they ate the fruit in the garden that they were not supposed to eat, and first Adam is like, "Well, it wasn't me; it was this woman you gave me." And then when he turns to to Eve, um, 
she says, well, it was the serpent who tricked me. So, you know, they just kind of kept pushing the blame because that's what we do whenever we've done something wrong. We want to push it off onto, onto someone else. We don't want to take responsibility. I had a friend in college one time. He did something pretty bad on a school trip. Um, he went into a, a girl, like we were staying at a hotel and like we had all the hotel rooms open in our part of the hotel and we were all just kind of mingling with each other. Well, anyway, this this guy goes into a room where one of the girls was and started, he made a move on her basically, tried some sexual things with her and was being a little aggressive about it. And she comes running out of the room crying and then... When, you know, when he was questioned about it, well, he was trying to blame everyone else. He was trying to blame even the girl for what he was doing. And and so basically, um, whenever we whenever we don't want to take responsibility for something wrong that we did, what we always try to do is we, tr- we try to blame someone else. And that's what Saul here is doing, too. He's saying, well, well, everyone else was doing it. The soldiers were doing it. You know, this is kind of the mob mentality that people that people get into sometimes when when what they when they look around and they say, "Well, everyone else was doing it. Everyone else was acting crazy." They use that as an excuse for why they started acting crazy. That's why when you see a big group of people, I forgot what the term for this is in sociology. Uh, I just remember learning about it in sociology class. But you get a big group of people; they're a lot more um, easily persuadable to to start a riot because you have this big mass of people, and everyone's you know. A normal person would not just pick up a brick and throw it through somebody's window. They wouldn't just throw it through a shop window and steal something inside. You're not, you know, just a person walking down the street is not likely to do something like that unless you live in San Francisco. But but typically, for most of us, that's not like a typical thing that's going to happen. But suddenly you get 100 people around. All of a sudden, for some reason, it doesn't feel so wrong in people's minds because they're like, well, I'm in this big crowd. Everyone else is doing it. So like, it's okay for me to pick up a brick and throw it through a shop window. Something that a single person on their own would never, ever do. You get them in a mob, you get them in a group, and they're much more likely to riot or do anything that's that's a bad thing if you can get a bunch of people all doing it together. And so that's a way that we try to shift the blame for our actions sometimes, is we say, well, there's this big group of people, they were all doing it, so it didn't, it didn't seem so wrong if I just did it too. Well, that might be a way we justify it in our mind. It might feel like it's not such a big deal at that point, but that's not how God sees things. We are still each responsible for what we do. We can't blame someone else for our actions in moments like that. Okay, let's keep reading in the chapter here in 1 Samuel 15. It says, and and again, this this is Saul coming up with excuses. He said, "'They spared the best of the sheep and cattle "'to sacrifice to the Lord your God.'" But we totally destroyed the rest. Okay, so here's another excuse that Saul has has come up with just here on the spot. It was not their plan to take the best of the sheep and cattle and use them as a sacrifice to God. <laughs> I, mean, I can guarantee that is not what Saul was thinking. He wanted to keep those animals, but now when he's caught in the in the in the sin, he tries to say, "Well, we were going to sacrifice them to God. That's why we kept those. You know, we kept them for our, for that reason." He says he was doing it for God. And sometimes we can trick ourselves into thinking that a sin was okay if we can come up with some godly reason that we committed the sin. You know, like we're we're running late to church and we're like, oh, well, can I break the traffic laws? Can I speed? Can I run a red light? There's no one, out, there's no one around at this stop sign. Do I really need to stop? Can I break the traffic rules? 
if I'm going to be late to church. And hey, I'm not I'm not even trying to be legalistic. I'm not even judging someone if you if you go to a four-way stop and there's no one there and you don't come to a complete stop. Don't don't read this as me like trying to be legalistic. I'm I'm not even I'm not even thinking about that really. But but here's what I would say. We can't just say it's okay to break a traffic law just because we have some godly reason to do it. Okay? You know, if you have some other if you if if you don't stop at a red at a stoplight all the way or something like that, I mean, I'm not even going to judge you for it. I'm just saying don't try to tell yourself it's for God. All right? <laughs> if you if you have a uh, let me let me switch to a different um example. Let's say you have a really good testimony of, you know, when you got saved and the darkness that you came out of and and what and you know how God really turned your life around. Okay, that's great. When you're giving your testimony, don't exaggerate it just because you think, oh, well, it's going to bring more glory to God if I just really exaggerate how bad I was. N- don't exaggerate because exaggerating is lying. It's not okay to do something wrong just because you tell yourself it's for God. Okay, so that's a, that's another way we come up with excuses. Let's keep reading in the verses now. Samuel said, why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey, Saul said. Here's another way that people don't take responsibility is denial. This is just an outright denial right here because denial, here's what happens in our brains. Um, We just want to live in what is most comfortable. This is why people can so easily slip into denial because our brains just want to think comforting thoughts. And this is why people, some people turn on CNN and they think it's telling them the truth. And some people turn on Fox News and they think it's telling them the truth when those two channels might be saying completely different things, but people just go to the thing that brings them comfort to hear. Not what's true to hear. I'm not saying the truth is on Fox News. I'm not saying the truth is on CNN. I'm saying they try to talk to people about what people want to hear. They try to tell you what's most comforting to your ears. And this is just the way that our minds work. And what we have to do is sometimes we have to think uncomfortable thoughts, okay? Sometimes we have to acknowledge the fact, I messed up. I did something wrong. And whenever you get caught doing something wrong and you won't admit it, that's called denial. And it's because your brain doesn't want to be, it's not comfortable thinking, oh, I did something sinful right here. I did something evil. I disobeyed God. Well, our brain doesn't want to think that. So you got to kind of push through that, you know, to get to the truth in your mind. And um, one way we can be in denial all the time is whenever we've done something wrong. Here, here's what I hear people doing sometimes when they're in, in denial. They do something that's wrong, and then they say, well, man, that's just not like me. I've heard people say that before, like when they did something, when they mistreated me, and they come to apologize sometimes. They say, hey, yeah, I'm sorry, Luke. You know, that's really not like me. And I, I want to say, <laughs> it is like you, because you did it. <laughs> so by definition, that is like you. You know, it is like you if that's what you did. But, you know, when someone's coming to apologize, I don't I don't try to jump down their throat because it's good to apologize. But but anyway, we can't use that excuse. Well, that I know I did that, but that's really not like me. Well, if you did it, you know, it is like you <laughs> by definition. But anyway, here's what else the, the chapter says. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely just destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag their king. This is a, a claim that Saul is making once again. He says, oh, I did completely wipe, wipe them out, and I brought back their king. Well, if you remember from what I said before, his mission was not to capture the king. His mission was to wipe everybody out. He's like, I did wipe everyone out, and I brought back the king. Well, then you didn't wipe them all out, Saul. 
So now, why did he bring back the king alive? Why would somebody do that? Well, it was because he wanted to humiliate their king. You know, it's not enough that Saul got the win. He wants to rub their faces in it. So he brought he brings the king Agag back He's just to keep him alive and be like, yeah, all your people are dead. Ha ha, I won. Saul is wanting to do that to rub the loser's face in it. And and so that's the excuse he's giving now. He's like, well, I, I did almost everything right. You know, he, he's probably thinking, I killed 99% of the Amalekites. Isn't that enough? <laughs> you know, I did 90, 99% of what you wanted me to do, Samuel. Can't you just be happy that I did all that? Here's what we learn from that statement, because Samuel is not happy. Okay, here's what we learn. Even if you do 99% of what God says, if you're not going to do 100%, partial obedience does not excuse disobedience. Okay? Partial obedience is disobedience. It doesn't excuse disobedience. It is disobedience. Because God is looking for people who are going to do all of what he says. So don't just say, well, I was mostly following what God wanted. So that, you know, hopefully that's at least I didn't do worse. Isn't that good enough? That is still the disobedience. We need to do all of what God says. Some people have justified looking at pornography because they say, well, at least I didn't look at the really, really bad pornography. Well, it's still still wrong. Some people have justified cussing because they say, well, at least I didn't say the really, really bad words. Well, listen, guys, you you can justify sin to yourself Anytime, if you if you say, well, I could have done something worse, you, you could justify any sin out there <laughs> that you could imagine. If you just say, well, I could have done something worse, then of course you could, you know, any, you could, I'm sure you could always do something worse, but that doesn't mean it's okay to do what you did. Or let me, let me use another example of this. Sometimes we don't want to apologize to somebody because we say, you know, we had this conflict with so-and-so, but it was 50% us and 50% them. And so, you know, I'll apologize when they'll apologize. Or, you know, I shouldn't have to apologize till they're ready to apologize. And so sometimes we do stuff like that. Or maybe, it, you know, more likely we say it was 30% us and 70% them. Or it was 10% us and 90% them. So we just withhold apologizing because we think, you know, they have a lot more to apologize for than I do. So why should I apologize first? But guess what? You are not responsible for their 90%. You are responsible for your 10%. Which is probably more than 10%, but I'm I'm trying to be nice to you here. You're not responsible about apologizing for what they did. You still need to apologize for what you did, even if it was only a small part compared to what they were up to. And so, and you know what? If you've done something wrong, you shouldn't be sitting here trying to figure out what percentage someone else sinned or contributed to the conflict anyway. What you need to do is take responsibility for just what you did and apologize like it was 100% you. And then if they apologize too, that's great. And if they don't, sometimes you just got to accept that. Because you got to remember at the end of the day, you're not responsible to the, to, for, you're not responsible for them before, before God. You are responsible for you. So you got to take responsibility for you. All right, so back to the verses here. It says, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. (laughs) It's about time he says that. He says, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. And I I really do want to give Saul some credit here for saying at least that, 
But I, I do also want to point out, he just couldn't resist throwing in a little bit of an excuse there too, right? Like, I'll, and we do that a lot of times. We acknowledge that we've done wrong, but then we blurt out an excuse as well. So like you say, yeah, I did it. I, I was afraid of the men, you know, I didn't want to tell the men no. And I just want to, you know, it's, it's good that he still owns up to it, but just always remember, even if you have a really good excuse, because we always feel like we have a good excuse, right? The, the heart is so self-justifying. We always feel like we have a good excuse for what we did, but if you did wrong, you did wrong and you got, you still got to take responsibility for it. I was reading an autobiography a few years back by a celebrity that I really like. Um, he was talking about, he, he was a celebrity who was really popular when I'm, when I was a kid and then he's kind of been popular again lately. And he was talking about how back in like the nineties, I think, or the early two thousands, he got into drugs and how he went, he went to rehab and, um, you know, he's not, it's talking about how drugs really messed his life up. And yet all he did was make excuses for why he did the things he did. Like he never just acknowledged he did that he did wrong. I was really disappointed with him because I, I loved acting. I loved watching this actor act on TV, but he just kept making excuse after excuse. He'd talk about how he would do drugs because he wanted to look cool. And I always wondered like, why do these, why do these celebrities always care so much what other people think of them? Like they have these underlings, their followers who just follow them all around everywhere. And they, they care so much about impressing those people. And, you know, it's never, they never think like, oh yeah, I'm the rich celebrity. You know, they should care what I think. <laughs> they don't think that they, they just care what all these people around them think. And that, so it's, it's never like they just woke up one day and thought, oh man, it's so nice being rich and living in this big mansion and being able to do whatever I want. I want to start doing cocaine. You know, they never have that thought. It's always peer pressure that they, someone that they invite to a party brings some cocaine and they feel like. You know, they get pressured into into trying that stuff and then they get hooked on drugs. And I'm like, why are you caring what they think? Like, why are you, they're pushing drugs on you. Why don't you just kick them out? But I don't know. These these people, I guess if you're a celebrity, that that's what your life is all around. It's all about what people think of you. So um, anyway, I'm just like listening to this guy and he's talking about how he got into drugs and had to go to rehab and how it set his career back for several years. And yet he's not taking responsibility for any of it. He's still just trying to blame other people. So I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I was in his shoes and I know what it's like to be there, but just because, here's what I want to say. Just because you feel pressured into sinning, that does not make it okay. Because at the end of the day, you got to take responsibility for what you do. And you got to tell people no a lot of times. And maybe it gets harder, you know, the more famous you get, or even being the king of Israel. And all the people are pressuring you to... To, to keep some of the Amalekites alive or to keep their animals alive. And you're like, yeah, but, but God said this, you know, you gotta, even if you're feeling pressured by people, you gotta take responsibility and put your foot down and say, okay, but I'm not doing that stuff because I want to do what God told me to do. Saul here is the king. So when Samuel is like, well, why didn't you kill all the Amalekites? Like I said, Saul can't say, well, everyone else was doing it. The men were doing it. It's like, yeah, okay, yes, yeah, all, but but who is the king of those men? <laughs> You're the king. So, and I'd say this to all the leaders out there who are listening. The misbehavior that you tolerate or ignore in the people that you're leading, if you if you tolerate misbehavior or just pretend it's not happening, that causes people to lose respect for you as the leader. You know, you can't just say, well, I'm the leader, but that's that's what those people are doing. That's just what they're doing. You know, that's on them. Well, no, if you're the leader, it's your job to deal with it. It's actually on you as well. 
And this is also why I, I talk a lot of times about why a fear of the Lord is a good thing. Uh, and John Bevere just had a book come out on this. I think it's called like The Awe of God. And I really want to read it. He had another book on the fear of the Lord, which was an excellent book, uh, which is, I think it's just called The Fear of the Lord. But it's such because it's such a basic concept that is so lost in our culture today. We need to have a, a healthy fear of the Lord. Why? Well, because when we don't fear God in a healthy way, when we don't have a—and and all even Christians are supposed to have a fear of the Lord. And um, and read that book. And I, I, I really want to get John Bevere's new book on this, too. Um, we need to have a fear of the Lord, because if you're afraid of man more than you're afraid of God, then you're going to listen to man and disobey God, as Saul did here. And that's what caused him to sin. So why is it so important to take responsibility? Well, I'd say this, you know, I don't know if God can completely forgive somebody until they're completely sorry. I'm I'm not saying I have a Bible verse for that. I'm not saying God doesn't love you. I'm not even saying it's going to keep you out of heaven. I'm just saying, do you want to be close to God? Do you want to hear God's voice? Do Do you just want to have that intimate, personal relationship with Jesus? Then whenever you repent, don't come to God repenting, but then having all these excuses in your hands. Where you say, okay, God, I'm sorry for my sins, but you know, it was peer pressure. It was fear that made me do it. God, I'm sorry for my sins, but you know, it could have been worse. At least I was partially obedient. God, I'm sorry for my sins, but you know, I was really doing it for you. God, I'm sorry for my sins, but everyone else was doing it. But, 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 no. If you ever need to repent, repent fully, repent wholeheartedly. A good place that I like to turn is Psalm 51. This is a psalm written of David. I won't get into the whole history behind it, but I just like to open up that psalm and take the things David was saying, but I just personalize them for me. Let me just read a little bit of it there. Psalm 51 says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. When when David said that, he was taking responsibility. And it's bad enough whenever we do something wrong, but there is a way that we can make it worse. It's whenever we refuse to take responsibility. And so instead of doing that, we, we lie, we make excuses, we try to shift the blame. Well, that's, makes, that's just made it worse because then not only do we have the original sin that we did, but now we've made it worse because we follow up the original sin with another sin. Now we're, you know, we're lying or something. We, now we've double sinned. And oftentimes... The lie is worse than the original sin was. Like the cover-up was worse than the crime a lot of the time. Um, God hates lying. You know, it's it's hard to find a sin in the Bible that's worse than lying. Um, I, I'm sure you can, but it's it's actually pretty hard to do that. God hates lying. And so whenever we come to him and we lie, we say, well, God, I did this wrong. But you know, it was it was someone else's fault. We try to shift the blame and make excuses. Those, that's lying to ourselves. And a lie is oftentimes worse <laughs> than the original sin. Uh, when, I, when I was, uh, well, I guess I am still a parent, but we've had lots of foster kids too. And um, I was always more hurt by the lies that they would tell me whenever they did something wrong. I was just always more hurt by the lies than I was by whatever they actually did wrong in the first place. I just, I just really hated being lied to. Um, whenever I was 
talking to a kid about something they did wrong, if they would just own up to it, like just take responsibility, I, I, I oftentimes I just let them off the hook. <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, you know, if they apologized, if they acknowledged what they had done wrong, then to me at that point, like, why do I need to punish them at that point? Right? They acknowledge their sin. They apologize for it. Okay, great. Well, then let's move forward. You know, and hopefully that problem won't come up again. Like many times, I don't even need to punish them after that. But it was always the lying that made it so much worse. When they tried to cover it up, when they tried to make excuses and they wouldn't just acknowledge it, man, then it blew up into a bigger thing entirely. So, um, and I'm I'm not God, but I would just imagine God probably feels similarly that God doesn't want the excuses, okay? Because when you're making excuses, you're just lying to yourself and you're lying to God and it's not taking responsibility for your actions. And and I'm not Samuel either, but I imagine he probably would have had a gentler response to Saul if whenever he arrived on this on the scene in this story, if Saul had just owned up to what he did instead of trying to pass the buck. But it was these lying and excuses, they they always made it worse. This is the story where Samuel says, I'm done with you, Saul. I'm not messing with you anymore. I don't want to talk to you the rest of my life. I'm going to go find a new king for Israel. And and Samuel takes off after this. He doesn't advise Saul anymore. And so this was the last straw for, for Samuel. And I just imagine if, if, if Saul had owned up and tried to turn over a new leaf here, it would have been a much different outcome for, for his entire life going forward. But instead, it's all downhill from, for, from here for Saul because he would not take responsibility. So that's my thought for this week. If you've done something wrong, make it right and take 100% responsibility, even if it was 70% someone else, okay? But leave them out of it and just take responsibility for all of it and make it right before God. And if you need to make it right with someone else, make it right with someone else. I'll close with this thought. Has anyone, you know, listening today, have you ever made one of these excuses? <laughs> well, I would imagine all of us have and probably done every single one. And and I have some good news for you. It's how this this story ends, okay? It's not going to sound like good news at first, but I'll, I'll tell you why it's good here in a second. So the story ends this way. Then Samuel said, bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came to him in chains, and he thought, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. So right here, Samuel did what Saul should have done. Samuel got his hands dirty because of what Saul had failed to do because of Saul's sin. Samuel had to step into the situation. He had to bear the sword. He had to get his hands dirty to fix up this mess. And that right there reminds me of Jesus. Because Jesus came down to this earth. He did what we should have done. He lived the perfect life. He did everything right that we did wrong. And Jesus got his hands dirty because of our sin. He could have just stayed up in heaven, could have just been the holy God living eternally in heaven, but instead he came down to this earth and he let himself get dirty because of our sin. As as Isaiah puts it, he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. If you're listening today and if you've ever sinned before, and if you've ever made excuses to try to cover up your sin, I just have some good news for you. Jesus died for all of it. He got his hands dirty so we could be made clean. Thanks for listening to the Cross References Podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you, 
that God even loves Twilight fans. Don't ask me why, he just does. <laughs>